I would ask if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. And again, this is, this is um, not an expository sermon uh, per se. We're, we're touching on things in, in, on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in preparation for our study of Acts here starting in Lord Week. We'll have, Lord willing, we'll have two more um, weeks on, on the gifts. After this one, we'll have one on the, the so-called sign gifts um, next week and then on the gift giver on the last week, and then, and then Lord willing, we'll, we'll be getting into Acts the first Sunday in August. This is the word of the, go- of the Lord. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of our Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Triune God, we praise you for the way that you work through your word to accomplish that for which you send your word. We think especially this morning of God, the Holy Spirit, who has given gifts to the church so that the church will build itself up in love. But we know that The Holy Spirit has been given to us by Christ. As Christ has given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts. And so we praise you for the gifts that you have given us. And this morning, as we think about the word gifts, we pray that that you will fill all of us with, with passion and zeal for your word. Lord, we know that you have given this individual local church, you have given gifts in, in conjunction with your word. You have given word gifts to this church through the power of your spirit. We pray that you would cause these gifts to abound. We pray that you would even be pleased to use my weak and feeble attempts, Lord, through the power of your spirit to fan into a flame the gift that has been given to the members of this local church to use the word gifts for the building up of the body. Lord, help us all to love your word and to see the the vital importance of your word and to seek to walk according to your word and seek to encourage and to teach one another your word so that all of us would be built up into the the full stature of Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Please be seated. I love the Word of God. Can I get an amen? I love the Word of God, and I pray that you love the Word of God too. Well, you might be thinking, well, he's a pastor. He, he, has, to, he has to love the Bible. Well, that's true. But as Christians, we all have to love the Bible. We were talking as a family the other day about a family whose, whose house was, was being destroyed. And if I remember correctly, it was a father. The house ran back into the house to, to get one thing, the greatest treasure that he owned. It was his Bible. His Bible. 
Your Bible is the greatest treasure that you own because in the Bible, you encounter Almighty God through the power of His Spirit. Now, I don't, I don't claim to be the, the standard of love for God's Word. I know that there is plenty of, of room for growth. Furthermore, I didn't always love the Word of God like I do now. As, as, a, as an unbeliever, I discounted the Word of God. I, I rejected the Word of God. I did have a Bible, but, but it, was, it was almost like a, like a talisman, like a, like a good luck charm. And occasionally I would, I think maybe only once or twice before being saved, I actually opened it up and, and looked in the, in the book of Revelation because I was curious uh, about, about future events. But even as a, as a young believer, I can't really say that my, my life was, was I, I knew the transforming power from the Word of God and, and, I, and I had a, a change of, of attitude towards the Word of God, but I, I can't say I, I passionately loved the Word of God, even as a young believer. And I remember I was less than a year old in the Lord and, and coming back from a Bible study on the bus. And I've shared this story before, but I remember it was a, it was a smaller Bible than, than this one and I, I wanted to hide the Bible as I was getting on the bus because I didn't, didn't want people to think that I was, was some kind of Bible thumper. But by God's grace, I... I repented. I realized that the opinion of somebody who thought poorly of me for carrying a Bible is not my concern. Because I'm, by God's grace, judging things now by different standards. But, but even, even after that, that early time, I, I confess that at times I, I had, had struggled to maintain a practice of daily Bible reading, of, of daily reading of the Word of God. Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And at times, today, it's, it's ironically, it's actually most often when I have the most time, when I'm, if I'm away on holidays, it's, it's more of a challenge for me, no matter my routines and whatnot, it's, it's more of a, a challenge to me to, to spend time in the Word of God. I still do by God's grace, but it, it doesn't come as naturally. But I can stand before you here and testify that, that the Lord has made a change in my heart, giving me an increased love for his word. Again, I'm not saying that I'm the standard on this, but, but the Lord has, has caused my love for his word to grow. And I trust that you can say the same thing as well. And I think probably the thing that has done that more than anything else through the power, of the, again, of the spirit is, is trials. At times when I've, I've felt tossed around the trials, and I'll, I'll sit down with the Word of God, and for me, especially the Psalms, I'll sit down and, and read the Psalms, and it's, it's almost immediately I feel like my feet are planted on solid ground from the Word of God, because I'm outside of my head and my thoughts, and then hearing God's heart and God's thoughts. But just to, to bear testimony of, uh, of the change that, that God has wrought. Just last week, I, I was actually kind of inadvertent. I brought my, my Bible into my chiropractor appointment. And I, I've talked numerous times with the chiropractor about, about, about my faith in Christ. And, and, and she saw my Bible. It was, this, it was actually this Bible. And she said, wow, your, your Bible must be well-loved because you can see that it's well-used. And I said, I do love my Bible. I said, this is actually the, the second cover. A few years ago for Christmas, Jane saw that um, that the Bible, the cover was coming off and the pages were starting to fall out. So, so Jane um, got the, the Bible, this Bible rebound for me. And if you wanted, it's a really, it's not, actually it wasn't that expensive, really nice leather. But, but anyway, it's, it's, she, could, she saw that, 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 that I love the Word of God. And she said to me that, that you know, she had, she had tried to, to read the Bible years prior and, and, um, and, and really didn't continue. She started Genesis and didn't continue. I suggest she try again, but starting in, in John's Gospel, um, there's really, I said, there's really no wrong way to read the Bible except for not to read it at all. Um, there's better ways than others, of course, but, but I suggested that she start with John. And she asked me if I'd, if I'd read the whole Bible, and I said, yeah, by God's grace, I try to read the Bible every year. And she was, what, really? I said, it's actually not that much. If you read four or five chapters a day, you, you will read the whole Bible in a year. And so I'm looking forward to another opportunity. Next, my, my, my back still isn't better yet, so I'm looking for an op another opportunity to, um, to, to go and talk to her further about the Bible in my next appointment. 
the other day as part of my, my Bible reading, Psalm 119 was, was in my, the Bible reading plan. And Psalm 119 is, is as Matthew has read for us shortly, is, is the longest book in the Bible. It's 176 verses. And, and of those 176 verses, there are only a couple that are not about the Word of God. The, the Psalm 119 is a, is a psalm about the Word of God. Testifying, I said almost every single verse is about the, the glory of the Word of God. You're probably familiar with several of them. A couple were read for us this morning. Uh, Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that it might not sin against you. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Have you prayed that? Have you prayed for God to open your eyes to his word? Or verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm sure you know, you know these verses. But, but Psalm 119 is, is not the only psalm that about, that's about the treasure of the word of God. Psalm 19, David begins with, with speak, let's just go there for a second, to Psalm 19. David here begins in talking about the, the glory of God's being being declared through, through general revelation, through, through nature. Right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork and, and so on. And so he talks initially about, about general revelation. And then in verse 7, he shifts gears to talk about special revelation, about the word of God. Verses 7 to 11. The, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Can you say that with David? Can you say that you desire God's word more than Fine gold, much fine gold. And even if you do love God's word, ask, ask that God would help you to love his word more. And he will because he loves you and he loves your word. And he will, will happily, through the power of his spirit, fan that desire for God's word in your heart into a flame. And so we think about, uh, about God's word is... The importance of it is it's for many, many things, as I said, because primarily because in it we see God. The Word of God is foundational to our faith. It's foundational. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So the, the church, it's the, the, the doctrine of Scripture is, is in fact, in, in most good. Uh, statements of faith, you'll see that the doctrine of Scripture is first. Why is that? Because Scripture is foundational to everything else. The doctrine of Scripture, the, especially the, the inspiration, the inerrancy, the authority, the sufficiency, and the clarity of Scripture are foundational for the church. By God's grace, they're foundational for this church. The word of God is foundational to our life and individually and as in a a body. In this body, it's foundational. In our study of the the spiritual gifts, we've already looked at the foundational gifts that that God has given to the church. The extraordinary offices of of apostle and prophet and evangelist, they are the the foundational gifts which serve their purpose, but that purpose has been fulfilled since the the, the closing of the canon, the fulfillment of of the, the... Foundation of the early church being laid, and then the uh, the offices of the ordinary offices of of pastor and teacher, or pastor teachers. It's really one office. Build on that foundation of the word of God. And so these these offices these these offices can obviously be described as word gifts. Word gifts because they center around the word of God. But there are other, there are further word gifts that we're gonna that we're gonna look at here this morning. And these word gifts are often possessed not just by, by those who are hold the office of, of pastor teacher in the church. They're, they're not the sole possession of such men, but but they're uh, throughout the body. 
And all of us minister to each other, are called and commanded to minister to one another in, in the word of God. But, but some among us are, are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit for the operation of these word gifts in the church. I'm speaking here of the spiritual gifts of exhortation, wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. As I said at the outset, so often, much of the, the I was going to say ink has been spilled, but most often the, the data on the internet is, is about discern your spiritual gift. Try to figure out your, your spiritual gift and, and grow in your spiritual gift. What's the problem with that perspective? As I said at the outset, it's not your gift. The, the gifts that, that, that God has given you are not primarily for you. They are for the church. They're God's gifts to the church for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the, the stature of Christ. So as you think about these things, force yourself to start thinking, okay, what's my gift for me? What's what's God's gift for the church. So first of all, exhortation. Exhortation. In Romans 12, 6 and 8, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, he goes on to say, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. In his exhortation. So you can see right here that there are different gifts according to, to God's grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, and one of these gifts is the gift of, of exhortation. Now, I don't usually go into to Greek definitions here, but I, but I think it's, it's helpful here. The Greek word that's translated exhortation is parakaleo. Parakaleo. And so the, the word kaleo is, is the root, and then the prefix added to it, para, which means in this context, alongside. So it's to call alongside, and that... And I don't think D.A. Carson would accuse me of, of a, an exegetical fallacy here, but I, but I think it's important for the knowledge of this word to say that it means to call alongside, because that's what we're called to do in the church. We're called to, to come alongside one another and, and to call them to growth in obedience in Christ, and to growth in the stature of Christ. So we come alongside a brother or sister and we, we uplift them through our words and our actions. That's, that's exhortation. And there, there are really two primary aspects to this gift. The, the first is reflected in most good English translations to exhort or to urge. Okay, and the other is reflected in the, in the NIV to encourage. So on the one hand, we urge one another onto faithful obedience in Christ, and the other, we offer words of, of consolation and comfort to the distressed and downtrodden. So then, then exhortation can involve reminding someone to press on in the Lord, and when they're, when, to, to grow in, in their sanctification, it can also mean calling someone to press on in the Lord by offering words of, of comfort and consolation. There's another closely related word um, to, to exhortation. It's admonish. Admonish, which essentially means to warn. And, and again, the, the Greek word here is, is nutheteo, from which we, we get the word nuthetic or nuthetic counseling, which describes biblical counseling. And its proponents cho chose the word nuthetic so that they would draw a distinction between biblical counseling and psychology. So this word, you'll, you'll see this quite often in the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So Paul his, here is exhorting the church to admonish the idle. Now, the, in the, the original language here doesn't exclude women. It it's really refers to brothers and sisters. This is the responsibility for the, the whole church, brothers and sisters. In fact, really throughout the, the New Testament, when you see the word brothers, 
most of the time you can, you can by contacts, you can see that it's brothers and sisters in, in the local church. Again, the, the responsibility is for all of us. Admonishing it is not the sole responsibility of pastors. It's, it's one of the one another commands for the church in the New Testament. But there's another important point for us to see here. So, so just listen carefully. Notice here the variety of responses called for in various situations. You don't go around with a hammer knocking everyone on the head to rebuke them. You have more than one tool in your bag. For some of us, the only tool we, we use is a sledgehammer. And for others, the, the only tool we use is a feather duster. That there are a variety of tools that you have been given and various situations and various people call for various responses in the church. Church ministry is not a one-size-fits-all. Sometimes we're called to gentle encouragement. Sometimes to offer support. Sometimes we're called to rebuke. But always we're called to patience. Be patient with them all. If only I would be as patient with others, especially at times my children, but if I would only be as patient as, 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 as even in the same, it's never going to happen. But I want to be as patient as, as God is patient. I want to grow in patience. I think I could testify to the fact that, ask Jane, don't ask me, but, but whether I've grown in patience. Ask my kids. Kids, if I grow, is daddy becoming more patient? They're not answering. Maybe they're just not listening. But, but we'd, we'd, we're all to have patience. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul speaks directly to Timothy as pastor of the church in Ephesus, exhorting him to exhortation. So let's go there. 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift you have, sorry, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy with the counsel of the elders and laid their hands on you. That's, that's not the right reference. So it's 13. Um, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So you th- see these three vital components in the church. Devote yourself to the reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Okay, these three things. These are, these are all word operating in the church. Exhortation is, is something we're commanded to do all the time. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day. As long as it's called today, is today today? Then exhort one another. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So exhortation is a, is a means of grace that helps other Christians to persevere in the faith. We are all called to exhort one another and called to cultivate our ability to do so. But some are particularly gifted with exhortation. These are the people who comfort. This is, again, the same Greek word. They are people who comfort others in any affliction with the comfort that they have received from God. Second Thessalonians, or sorry, Second Corinthians 1.4. They're the ones who actively seek to help their brothers and sisters to stay on the narrow path. Or to redirect the steps of, of those who have veered off the path. They're especially gifted at doing what the writer of Hebrews commands in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. To consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is to be every day. It's to be today and every day as you see the day drawing near. So these people are, are quick to identify evidences of grace in others and, and to point them out. And so these are usually humble people. And they have to be humble because, because often the faults in others are, are more glaring than their virtues. And, and so, again, by God's grace, this, this person who is gifted in this, this gift of, of exhortation sees through that and, and, and sees ways to be able to encourage one another. They see ways that God is at work and they encourage people in that and they, they redirect their course when they're failing to do that. So the Holy Spirit particularly helps these people to intentionally look for the fruit of the Spirit in, in the lives of others in the church, to encourage them in that and, and to see where those areas are, are 
are, are not what they, they should be, and all of us are not what they should be, and they, they seek ways, that, the, and we'll talk about wisdom in a moment, to wisely help to encourage them in their growth in Christ. Now, by God's grace, we can all learn to exhort others, especially when we see them growing. So again, we, we look for evidence of others who are using their spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, and we, we encourage them in it, and, and we seek to, to do it in such a way so that God's glorified. We can say something like, I see God working in you when, or you glorify God when. And, and again, it's, it's, it's not puffing the person up, it's glorifying God. And so you'll be better able to exhort others when, when you have cultivated humility and love in your own life. So that, that even if you have to admonish someone, and even if, if they're offended by the content, don't let them be offended by the delivery. May, may the person that you're admonishing know that, that you are coming to them with love. And you don't think of yourself as better than them, but as a, as a fellow sinner in need of God's grace. Make sure you, you take time in, in order to, to encourage them with what you do see in their lives. This isn't just a, I've talked about this before, but when I was, when I was a, a teacher, I would, would often cut to the, the point of, of the area where, where a student was, was not doing something right or not, not growing in something. And my, the, the principal, or vice principal, told me to, to use the sandwich technique, to have a, an encouragement and then slip the, the criticism in there, another encouragement. Well, there's some wisdom in that, but, but that's not what this is. We're talking, about, again, about, about seeking to, to, to show somebody that we love them, we care for them in Christ, and that we're, we're no better than them. Just think for a moment about, about the Apostle Paul's commendation of the, of the Corinthian church at the outset of his first letter. I give my thanks, so I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just think about what was going on in the Corinthian church. People were dividing over the spiritual gifts. People were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. There was, was gross sexual immorality in their midst, and, and they were boasting in their open-mindedness because they, they let this brother enjoy communion with them. Now, if, I was write, if that was taking place in this church and I was writing a letter to the church, I don't think I would start it that way. But this is what the Apostle Paul does because he is conscious and confident of God's work in God's people. And people can tell. If you're talking to someone, if you're counseling someone, and you have to, to, to bring something to their attention, they can tell if you're ticked at them. And they can tell if, if yours is a, is a fleshly or proud response. They can also tell if, if you have hope in God for them, for their growth in the gospel. So may God do that work in our hearts, all of our hearts but especially may he raise up men and women who are gifted in this gift of exhortation because we need that. I need that, and you need that. Barnabas, we're told in Acts 4.36, it means son of encouragement. And, and we'll see this when we, when we go through Acts, that, that throughout Acts, Barnabas is living up to his name. In Acts 11, 23 and 24, when, when the Jerusalem church sends, sends Barnabas to Antioch, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That is, is what the gift of exhortation looks like. It's a man full of the Holy Spirit who was glad when he saw the grace of God in the saints. And he, he exhorted them, he encouraged them to stay faithful in the Lord. That's the gift of exhortation. So as we all encourage one another to grow in Christ, again, especially as those who are gifted by the Holy Spirit in exhortation, the church grows in Christ. So may we all grow in our encouragement and may God help us to recognize this particular gifting in our body. You know, I've, I've witnessed your exhortation in form of encouraging one another and spurring one another on to, to love and good deeds. I've seen you do that with each other. 
And I've received both kinds of exhortation from you. And so please know your, your ministry to me is, is a vital part of my ministry. And your ministry to others is a vital part of their ministry as well. You know, I've seen the positive effects of exhortation many times in the lives of others, but, but I can think of one incident in particular where the effect was clear and immediate. And I've shared this story before, but some time ago. There was a, when I was in studying in, in Louisville, there was a, a young woman in our church who, who I noticed was, was just eager to serve other people. And, and there were, there were a, a lot of, ours was not the cool church, in the city, but there was a lot of, of young, popular people as well in the church, even though there was, there was the other, the cool church was up the road. I think the cool church is up the road here as well. But I noticed that this, this, this woman, we had, it was in, a, in the middle of a, an impoverished neighborhood, and, and, and there was um, some people who were, let's just they were not the, the, the quote-unquote beautiful people. And I, I saw this woman just go and serve from person to person, some very difficult people. There was a woman in the church who was, she had some significant uh, mental issues and she was basically, she was narcoleptic, if you, if you heard of that, and, and she would sit next to this woman and, and wake her up gently in the, during the service. There was another woman who had these boils like all over her face and, and she would minister lovingly and patiently to, to this, this older lady. And so I, one evening, I, after a, a midweek prayer meeting, I just said to her, you know, I, I, I see you serving in the church and, and God is glorified in the way that you serve others in the church. And she just burst into tears. And she said, you have no idea how much you needed to hear that. She said, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that at this moment. There are people in this church that you have no idea how much they need to hear a word of exhortation from you at this moment. Whether it's, it's a brother or sister who's drifting whether somebody is going through a significant health challenge in their own life or in their family. Whether somebody is just beat down by the world. That's all of us to a degree. We need that from each other. We need, if you have this gift, and I, I know some of you do, use that gift for the glory of God and for the building of the church. Okay, I've spent most of my time on exhorting you to exhortation. Um, but now we're going to shift, shift over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to examine the, the gifts of, uh, of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. Now, wisdom and knowledge there have actually some overlap, and so we're going to just briefly consider both together before looking at the, the distinct characteristics of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12, 8, Paul says, For one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now some take the word, or sorry, take word of wisdom and word of knowledge to be, to be gifts whereby the speaker is given special revelation. Okay, a, a supernatural word from God to, to speak into the life of someone present. And, and so they see those gifts as miraculous and being more prophetic in character. Others view these as more natural gifts. The, the ability to speak wisdom or knowledge into a situation, not through direct and immediate agency of the Holy Spirit, but through the word of God and being able to apply the word of God correctly. And that's how I... Understand, I think the biblical testimony says that, that this, this is not, this is not a, a supernatural, what well, is supernatural in the sense it comes from the Spirit, but this is not an extraordinary manifestation of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is in, the, in the life of the believer, God bringing the word to bear. Okay, and you'll see that from just quickly from, from a, a quick study here in this, this context. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it's really the only place where these terms are used to refer uh, to spiritual gifts. So you can't draw firm conclusions directly from this verse. But, but I believe, again, the weight of the argument points to the fact that Paul is not referring to something extraordinary here. It's extraordinary in, in, in the sense that it's not, it's not natural. You and I don't, don't have that in and of ourselves. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's not extraordinary in, in the sense that, that tongues and, and prophecy and, and healing work. Okay, so the words that Paul uses here are not technical terms. Wisdom is, is simply Sophia and knowledge, gnosis. 
They were common words in, in Greek culture, and they simply referred to wisdom and knowledge respectively. And so I believe that, that Paul here is referring to something distinct from the, from the so-called word of God be, because he uses another term in this very passage to, to refer to the word of God, and that's prophecy. It's something different. That Paul goes into great length in chapter 14 to describe prophecy and controlling its use. The reality is when, when wisdom and knowledge are operating again, it is supernatural. It's not within us naturally. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. The Holy Spirit is operating, doing something in the heart of a man or woman that would not have been, they would not have been able to do on their own. Again, so there, there are those who would say that the list in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10 includes all extraordinary gifts, but, but again, I'll just say consider the context. Paul is telling the Corinthians that no matter what their gifts are, they're important for use for the common good. So then the word of wisdom. What is the word of wisdom? I believe the word of wisdom involves the Holy Spirit's work in the heart of a believer, enabling them to bring biblical principles to bear on a specific situation. It's when the the Holy Spirit brings a a specific passage or a principle from God's word to mind in context, not pulling the verse out of context, and then applying it correctly to the context of the situation you're dealing with. So the the word of wisdom in this sense is is essentially bringing the right word at the right time in the right way. Proverbs 25, 11 describes this saying, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Now Solomon clearly had this gift as he recorded a great deal of, of wisdom in the Proverbs. Remember Solomon had, God had come to Solomon in a dream and said, what would you like me to do for you as you are now going to be the king of Israel? And Solomon said, I need wisdom to lead these people. And God blessed him and gave him wisdom. Solomon was, was the wisest man, the wisest mere man who ever walked on the planet. Just turn with me for a moment to to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2, in verse 3, he says, If you call for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you pray for wisdom. Verse 4, if you seek wisdom like silver, like hidden treasure then God will give it to you. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield for those who walk in integrity and so on. So he's, it's, it's, wisdom is for the up, those who walk in a way that is upright. You can't walk like a fool and expect God to give you wisdom. Have you prayed for wisdom in your life? Have you prayed for, for wisdom in the life of the church? Consider James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives graciously or generously to all without report, reproach, and it will be given to him. And so there's a sense here in which, which all Christians have wisdom. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's, that's in, in Proverbs 9, I think verse 11. But, you know, I, I love teaching the Proverbs to my children in order to train them in wisdom. But their first need is to be born again. Their, their first need for my children is, is to be born again, and only then will they actually be able to walk in this wisdom because, again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But wisdom is, is not just in Proverbs, and wisdom is not just in the other wisdom literature, literature in the Scriptures. That The whole Bible is wisdom literature. And we see God's wisdom, especially in the Gospel. The Gospel displays God's wisdom in all the, the fullness of His glory. It is only in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that God could could possibly provide salvation for wicked men and women and on the one hand uphold his his grace and his love and his mercy and also his his righteousness and his justice and his holiness. It is in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you most 
powerfully see God's wisdom as you see Christ crucified. Experiencing God's wrath, the fullness of God's wrath for all of his people for all time. But then you also see God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So if you want to see the, the fullness of the glory of God's wisdom, consider the gospel. And it's only Christians who have the gospel. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 contrasts wisdom with foolishness, saying that, that we can't understand God through the wisdom of the world. And then in chapter 2, he explains that, that God is imparting a secret and hidden wisdom of God taught by the Spirit, verse 13. And so again, all Christians have been given this wisdom. They've been given the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. They've been given faith in God, which is walking in that wisdom. However, again, some Christians are uniquely gifted in wisdom. And again, I've listened as some of you have, have spoken into to, to the lives of others and into my life with wisdom. And I've seen many of you grow in wisdom. This gift is at work within the church. And although wisdom is, is not directly listed in the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, I believe an elder should be gifted in this area. So pray for, for Pastor Joshua and, and me to have wisdom and to, to grow in wisdom. Pray that the Lord will, will cause this gift to abound in, in this church and, and in, in other churches in this, in this city, in this province, in this country. These are difficult times. It's, there's... We're, the church has always lived in difficult times, but we, so we always need God's wisdom in order to walk in this world. We need to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. There are some, particularly those who are gifted in, in biblical counseling, who are, are gifted in wisdom. They, they have a unique and, unique and, I believe, supernatural ability to apply God's word to various issues in life. And if you have this gift, it's going to be recognizable. It'd be recognizable that the person who has the, the, the gift of wisdom won't put himself forward. But they'll be thrust forward by the church. So it's helpful here to just consider James' comparison between spiritual wisdom and fleshly wisdom. James 2, 13 to, in, uh, James 2, 13 to 18. In, in verse 13, I'll just for the sake of time, I'll just, re, just discuss it. That, that What he describes here is the, the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. So spiritual wisdom is, is, is tied to humility and gentleness opposed to the, the type of wisdom that seeks to promote itself. This is fleshly wisdom and it's manifested by jealousy and selfish ambition. It's for the promotion of self and not for the building of God's church. Okay, so that's the word of, of wisdom. Now let's, let's briefly look at the word of knowledge. Again, the word of knowledge is, is closely related. It involves spiritual insight into a situation based on God's word. In order to be able to exercise the, the word of, of knowledge, you must know God and you must know God's word. Like wisdom, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. So in order to have knowledge, you have to study the Bible. You have to know your Bible. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul acknowledged that, that the Corinthians had knowledge. Paul said at the outset of 1 Corinthians that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. But then in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he criticizes the Corinthians for their knowledge that puffs up instead of building up the church. They, they flaunted their knowledge that, that God is one and, and that an idol is nothing by eating in pagan temples and so by in so doing, they destroyed their weaker brothers. It's a kind of, of worldly knowledge that puffs up. In Isaiah 4, 6, the, the prophet says that, that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. God criticized Job's counselor, saying, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Job 8.32. So there is a word without knowledge. And, and it can be difficult as you, you wade your way 
through, through Job. The only, the, the only hero of Job, if you want to understand Job, the only hero of Job is God. And it's hard because a lot of Job's friends, they, they're, they're really skilled at using half-truths. And, and that's what we need to be careful of. It's a little knowledge that said it's a dangerous thing. But we need to, to know the, the whole counsel of God's word in order to be able to walk in knowledge. Proverbs 1.7, again, it's the, it's the beginning of knowledge. Fear is the beginning of knowledge. Both gifts are clearly from God, wisdom and knowledge. In Ecclesiastes, again and again, we see wisdom and knowledge linked. You cannot have one without the other. Isaiah 11, 2, is, is, it's a prophecy describing the, the shoot of the stump of Jesse, which is Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ was the epitome of knowledge. He is the word, he is wisdom and knowledge incarnate. He's full of the spirit of knowledge. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that knowledge will pass away when the perfect comes, referring to the return of Christ. At that time, this is Richard Gaffin, who was a cessationist, explains the termination of the believer's present fragmentary knowledge based on likewise temporary modes of revelation when the perfect comes. He's saying that we, we won't need this gift operating the church because we'll have perfect knowledge. We will know even as we are known when Christ returns. But this hasn't taken place yet. So, so then what does th this word of knowledge look like and how does it, how does it operate in the church today? What, once again, I, I believe this is something different from the prophetic utterance. We'll be talking about that next week and, it, and its place in church history next week. Again, I believe it has to do with the, the knowledge of God's word. It's, it's again tied to the, the utterance of the word of knowledge, but it's knowledge of God's word. And, and so this is a person who intimately knows God's word. So we should all know God's word, but this is a person who's uniquely gifted to be able to put it all together, to understand the, the big picture of Scripture and to know the details of Scripture. They don't just see the, they don't lose the forest for the trees. They see the forest and they see the trees and they see the leaves and they're able to put it all together in, in a way that, that is beneficial for the building of the church. Again, it's important for elders to have this, but, but if, in order to be able to teach the word to others, but, but all of us need this. And so that's, that's the, the, the word of, of wisdom and the word of knowledge. But briefly, let's, let's look at the, the last, this last gift. This is the last word gift that we're going to be covering here is the, the so-called um, gift of discernment, the gift of discernment. First Corinthians 12, 10. So he begins by talking about the work in miracles and prophecy, then to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And he talks about tongues. And we'll talk about these next week, tongues and the interpretation and, and their, their, the purpose that they had um, next week. But, but here, th this, this gift to distinguish between spirits, also called the gift of discernment, the gift of discernment. It, is, it essentially means to tell the difference between truth and error. It's the recognition of whether a certain behavior or teaching is from God or from Satan or from human error or human power. Those who claim to, to speak or to teach can be mistaken. And so God gives the gift of discernment to the church, to the Christian community. First, in 1 John 4, 1-3, John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So this isn't, this isn't a feeling. Okay, this isn't just, oh, I have a feeling that this, this person is lying. You know, I was at a church, really very cultic actually, many, many years ago. And, and they're really big on, on the, the, the so-called sign gifts and, and a, 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 I think a false understanding of, of discernment. And I remember talking to one of my housemates and, and, and he was involved in a, in a, a particularly grievous sin. And, 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 um, and I, I think, lovingly confronted him about it. Um, he was a big guy much bigger than me. And he, he, I said, well, did you just 
you know, knew what uh, what he had, uh, what he was sending sin that he's involved in. And he said, "No." I said, "You're lying." I was right. He said, "He said you're right. I'm lying." And he never repented. Now, in that case, I had a feeling that he was lying, and and so I said, "You're lying." But another another situation, sometime later. Parallel situations outside the church, and, and I thought somebody's lying. I said, you're lying. And I found it afterwards. She wasn't. So I was operating on these, these subjective feelings and doing damage to my testimony. Of course, I was right one time, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. Broken digital clock is never right. This is not based on on subjective feelings. It's based on the objective word of God. The objective word of God. You know, you've you've heard this illustration before, but but it's like, they'll say that to, and I don't know if they really do this, but they'll say, in order for, uh, when when people are being trained at the bank as tellers, they they won't show them counterfeit money. They'll show them real money, and they'll they'll get to know in depth what, what what real money looks like. So that when a counterfeit comes along, they can recognize it because they, they know the genuine article. And the same is true. If you, if you want to operate in the gift of discernment, you need to know the word of God. Because the discernment is not based on subjective feelings. It's based on the objective truths of God's word. First uh, Corinthians, again, 12, 10. To another is given the ability to distinguish between spirits. And, and this is from Wayne Grudem, who's actually a... a a Calvinistic charismatic. He, he defines this gift as a special ability to recognize the influence of the Holy Spirit or demonic persons, spirits in a person. And again, understand this correctly, this is, this is not just a feeling. It's based on the Word of God. So to this I would add the, the, possibly the ability to determine whether a person is operating in a merely fleshly way. And again, you see this by, by interpreting everything in light of the Word of God. And clearly this gift was needed in Corinth. In, in verses, uh, in chapter 12, uh, 2 and 3, it says, Do you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray into mute, mute idols, however you, were le- however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Again, it's based on objective truth. This is not just a matter of saying the words, Jesus is Lord. It's Jesus has to be your Lord. Many workers of lawlessness will say, Lord, Lord. Many will even do mighty works in his name, but, but only to hear from Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And in Corinth, people do all kinds of crazy things. And they claim to be doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the exact opposite of the orderly worship that God commands. Many were holding on to, to sinful attitudes towards each other and, and walking in sin. Does that sound familiar? It could be an accurate description of, of many churches today with the craziest, craziness that is called worship. People who claim to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit who do not portray the fruit of the Spirit. These are people who have natural talents that look like spiritual gifts, and many are deceived. Some of these people are at best human impostors. In some cases, I believe they're actually demonically inspired. And we see this particularly in some of the proponents of the new apostolic reformation. The main test in order to discern is is what they say and what they do. And if either do not line up with scripture, you've got a problem. Satan's main tactic is to question the word of God. He did it in the Garden of Eden when he planted the seeds of doubt in Eve's heart with the words, did God actually say? Genesis 3.1. And then the open denial of the word of God in verse 4. You will not surely die. Satan used the same tactic when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4 by, by pulling passages out of context. Again, by operating in half-truths. The foolishness of, of Satan's pride to tempt Jesus, the word of God, with the word of God. But Jesus wielded the word the sword of the Spirit, with perfect precision, and he cut down every demonic lie with the word, it is written. 
So in order to be able to recognize satanic influences and withstand their wiles, one needs to be skilled in the word of God. Satan does not come with horns and a pitchfork. He comes disguised and is an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11.14. The apostle Paul was gifted in this area. He was gifted in the area of discernment. He was able to recognize Bar-Jesus as a son of the devil, Acts 13.10. Or think about the slave girl in Acts 16 who followed Paul and around Philippi saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What she said was 100% right. So how did Paul know that her words came through an evil spirit? Because of, of actions that did not line up with the word of God. This is a spirit of, divin of divination that is commanded against in Scripture. One of the greatest dangers in the church is those who claim to be servants of God but are false teachers. Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 30, and 31 to be alert because some men would rise up among their own number who would speak twisted things. So, we already looked at 1 John 4. In 2 Peter 2, 1-3, Peter warned his readers that false teachers would be among them in the church and they would bring destructive heresies. Beloved, times haven't changed. There are destructive heresies at work in the visible church today in many churches in this city. False gospels from men and women who claim to be ministers of the word of God. You need to know the word of God so that you can identify false teachers through their words and their deeds. False teachers are, are, are knowingly or unwittingly tools of Satan sent to deceive. And so we all need to exercise biblical discernment. You need to listen very carefully to what I say. You need to have discernment in listening to what I say to see whether what I'm saying lines up with the word of God or not. And if it doesn't, you need to come to me and and call me on the carpet. And if I persist in teaching things that are untrue, you need to shuffle me out that door as fast as you can kick me. The time is coming, says Jesus, when false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Mark 13, 22. And I believe that we are living in those times. So these are the word gifts, and these are vital to the church. We, we've talked about the, the foundational gifts and the, the office bearers who, who build upon those foundational gifts. And now as the, as a church, we, we operate in these word gifts for the continual building up of the body in Christ. And we do this in confidence that when God speaks, things happen. Genesis 1.1, God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks and things happen. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, the prophet says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. By God's grace, I proclaim God's word to you this morning, confident that God, through the power of the Spirit, will accomplish that for which it was sent this morning into your hearts. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is the word of God. And he's the word of God incarnate. God sent his son, his word into the world, that through the word of Christ, you might have life in Christ. As the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with his word, he brings new life where once there was death, where he brings worship where once there was rebellion. He brings love where once there was hatred. And then he continues to do that through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, again, in conjunction with the word of God. The word of God is the means whereby God has decreed that he would build his church. He would lay the foundation through the word of God and he would build up the church through the word of God. And it's not just my job. 
We are all called to build up the church through the word of God. We need God and we need his word in order to grow in God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we rejoice in the precious gift that you've given us of your word. And Lord, as, as we are here gathered this morning, many of us at, at one time in our lives either ignored or rejected your word. And Lord, we confess that at times we still do that. We still fail to, to build our lives on your word. We still fail to see the responsibility that we all have to build up the church in your word. Forgive us, I pray. Help us, Lord, to love your word. Lord, help us, I pray, to let the word of God dwell in us richly. That through the word and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, your church would be built up for the glory of your name. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.